Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into Dao De Jing and other Taoist classics to uncover the timeless wisdom and to talk about how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm David Wang, executive coach. I'm joined by Ian Felton, practicing ther-、uh, psychotherapist. Hey, David. Hello, Ian. How are you? Good to see you. Good. We've had a little bit of a break, so it's it's really nice to see your face and hear your voice again this morning. Yes. Yes. Well, today、uh, we're going to、uh, continue our discussion.、Um, you know, building upon our uh, last uh, podcast, why we should care about Taoism.、Uh, uh, I think today is to、um, really to、uh, focus on. This notion of,、um, I think, freedom. Really, I personally、mm. I benefit from you know a Taoist、uh, you know readings、uh, because it helps me think more freely and act more freely. But you know, I, I think everybody you know we we love freedom. You know, if you talk to people, freedom is the underlying human needs. But you know. Ironically, or maybe paradoxically,、um, in today's age, you know, we don't necessarily experience freedom because our life is getting more complex. So today, I want to talk to you about, you know, how can we, you know, experience more of a freedom,、uh, especially to、um, by simplifying our lives and.、Um, And also, really, to、uh, to tame our wanting minds, because I think it has a lot to do with our desires, because we have many, many competing desires. Well, I'm really excited about this topic, and just hearing you cover the. The overview of the themes. I was already just getting a lot of ideas and and a lot of excitement around what we might might work work through today. So, I'm 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 ready to hear maybe what questions you want to start off with or what what point you want to start off with today. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, I think you know one of the things I always wonder、uh, is. Why? Why do we want more and more? I think that's the kind of the recurring thoughts in many people's mind. Just, you know, not enough. Well, so we we kind of starting at the broad, and and thinking about first being、um, the species Homo Homo sapien. That entails. A certain amount of biological wiring. Then our culture influences that biological wiring. I think our modern society, at least how popular culture talks about things, definitely put politically how things are discussed. It's all shaped around culture, 
but really ignores to a large extent that there's this biological component to Mm -hmm. what it means to be a a person. I think that's a huge mistake. I think it also gets in the way of us being able to talk about things honestly, because culture isn't everything. It's, it's, it's hugely significant, but it's not everything. Mm -hmm. We, We start with, with biology. So biologically, um, we are pretty weak as individuals. We, we need each other to survive. We, we wouldn't have survived as independent individuals uh, the way that, that we um, kind of can't compete one-on-one against the predators that we would have had in the savannah, like lions and right. hyenas and leopards. And um, we we really needed to be in groups to kind of be on alert for things, to, to cooperate, to, you know, specialize to some extent to, to be able to make it. So the first thing that we want Um, or one of the first things that we want that's based upon biology is we want to be around other people. Okay. Yeah. We want to belong. We want to feel like we belong because if we don't, our biology lets us know that you're probably not going to survive very long if, if you're isolated and cut off, um, we can survive on our own now in civilization just because of how e- easy it is to survive within a developed country. But our biology doesn't care about that. Our biology still lets us know, hey, you need to connect with people. You need to feel like people accept you because if you don't have that, something is wrong. I see. So you're, what you're saying is that's... Uh, uh... You know, having that sense of belonging and the being part of the, the the group is a natural desire. Yes. Okay. It's biological. I it's mean, biological. Okay. So, because I, I mean, there, there, that that word nature, it always kind of confounds me a little bit because, obviously, if it happens within the universe, it's natural. Like, mm-hmm. it's we don't have the ability to kind of say like this is natural or unnatural. I mean, people have done that, but it's, it's an illusion. It's arbitrary. I mean, if it happens in the universe, it's natural. I see. But if you, based on that, you know, observation of the natural forces, when human beings are kind of a tempering with it, when I say mm-hmm. tempering, uh, using the, maybe the metaphor of like the modern day social media, because a lot of the social media companies are watching, uh, you know, the human, natural human behaviors. Mm -hmm. They are trying to take advantage of it. So I was wondering, you know, Mm. even this sense of belonging Mm -hmm. is, has been exploited by, Mm -hmm. you know, by by human beings themselves. And into... mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's called a natural anymore, but it's obviously it's built upon the natural impulses, as you said. Without a doubt. And, and so like the word, the word that I would use there then is cultural. And so how do cultural forces shape or influence or, or moderate 
our biological um, urges, our biological um, needs. Right. And and the interaction of those two is going to produce a psychological state. So then we have these psychological states as people that are kind of the this stew of biological urges and cultural factors, cultural influences. And now that becomes our psychological state and how we interact with our own lives. Right, right. That's a good way of looking at it. The, you like that. Like okay. the, the, the overlaps between the two, right? The interaction, mm -hmm. interplay of the two produces the psychological state. Yeah, it's to, to use a, a Buddhist term, uh, I'll, I'll reference Thich Nhat Hanh, who just passed away at 95. He was a big influence of mine early on, a, a Buddhist monk, Vietnamese monk, who um, was a outspoken advocate during Vietnam War, yes. um, had a relationship with Martin Luther King Jr. They um, supported each other's peaceful causes and nonviolent protest. But he used a word, um, interpenetration. And yes, yes, I think it's that's an appropriate word to use in, in the state that our biological urges and our, our cultural forces and influences, they interpenetrate each other in ways where when we're experiencing life, it's kind of tough. Like we can't see like, oh, that's biological and that's cultural because that's not how we experience life. We experience life as a whole. Right. But that whole is an interpenetration of those various forces. Right, right, right. So given that's the case, then what are we supposed to do about it? Like, are, are we, um, should we just return a little bit more to the natural state or should we let the cultural forces continue to shape and uh, make it stronger, that force to take more hold on human beings? Well, since this is a Taoist podcast, I'm going to say that we should align ourselves with Tao. But that's probably not a very helpful answer because it's very abstract and, and it's not very um, applicable in a, in a practical Right, right. But Wait. explain, like, tell uh, our listeners even more, like, elaborate a little bit more on that idea. So one of the significant things about Taoism versus a lot of the monotheistic religions is that monotheistic religions, they posit that humans are the most important thing to God. And Taoism doesn't necessarily presuppose that. What it, it, it points toward is that, yes, there is this much bigger force in the universe that's mysterious, that has characteristics that we can identify and um, experience, but it doesn't necessarily make humans the center of the universe we're we're a part of Tao and what's ha happening but Tao isn't 
doing what it's doing just to be in the service of or for the sake of homo sapiens. Right, right. It's definitely not a center. Um, for the, uh, you know, for example, uh, the going back to, you know, to the Bible, like Genesis, I think human beings are not supposed to be the center, but I think the message there was uh, God give human beings a mandate. Human beings are superior to other creations. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to uh, manage to be the in the domain. I think mm -hmm. that's the original word. Uh, in other words, uh, there's still a sense of stewardship there. But if human beings are not in union with God, then bad things happen. Mm -hmm. so, the, so I think the difference there, it seems like human beings are that superiority of human beings. Uh, in Taoism, I think it doesn't, it didn't seem to make that distinction. Mm -hmm. Especially when we get into Zhuangzi and his thoughts like about everything kind of has its own nature, but, yeah, yeah. but no one nature is better than any other nature. They're just different. That right, like right. the nature of a fish is special to what it's like to being a fish and people can't know what that experience is like and we shouldn't make any guesses about what it's like and we definitely shouldn't feel like it's better to be a human than a fish because we simply don't know right 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 yes exactly exactly so i was wondering like how these different kind of you know schools of thoughts let's say in Taoism and then versus you know, in the, uh, you know, the uh, religion, you know, like some of the typical mainstream, like the uh, Western religion, how does that translate into way of thinking and way of doing? I mean, that is a, obviously a question that, I mean, people who have PhDs in religion and have studied mm -hmm. all of the world religions and 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 in depth have been trying to answer and and would be much better sources of of answers for those kind of broader questions. I think in 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 the spirit of Taoism, maybe to make some distinctions between what are more familiar religions, I think, for, for people in the West who might be listening to this mm -hmm. podcast, which would be Christianity. And I think there are lots of people in the West also have a lot of familiarity, I think, with Buddhism now, too. Mm -hmm. yep. um, probably less so with, with Taoism as a religion and more from um, just a lot of the popular Taoist books and New Age kind of things that are out there. But maybe less serious compared to like how I think you and I are trying to treat Taoism. Mm -hmm. So the the first way of thinking, which is way more aligned with Buddhism and and probably at odds with Christianity, is is that not just humility and like a human sense, but a humility and 
an existential sense that, again, while Christianity definitely professes love and humility and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. within Taoism, it's the type of humility that we're not necessarily, our existence isn't necessarily any more significant than the existence of a tree or an ant or any other aspect of the universe. That's not to say that it doesn't matter or that there's no magic there or that there's no um, miracle there, but that people just aren't any more important than anything else. Maybe we can call it uh, ecological or cosmic humility. Yeah, I think that's a great... As opposed to human. I think human humility or spiritual humility, you know, you can see that in Christianity, also even Confucianism, right? Confucianism also advocated, you know, being humble in in that social hierarchy. But the true, you know, you know, I, as I remember reading Zhuangzi, as you mentioned earlier, it is like uh, you sort of see your standing in the whole universe. Mm-hmm. So maybe the continuation of science, you know, scientific research um, on the, uh, you know, the physical universe front, mm-hmm. um, you know, more breakthroughs in the future will bring back that... Um, sense of uh, cosmic humility, which will inform in our sense of our sense of ourselves. Yeah, and I think to a large extent that's that work has been done. Um, quantum physics and mm-hmm. cognitive science mm-hmm. and 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 understanding, the ways that were not only less significant than than what we used to to think, but but that in some ways we don't necessarily. It, it's hard to pin pinpoint how we even exist. That we we're kind of real and not real at the same time, which is more like mm-hmm. um, a Buddhist approach to to things that we're not. We're not a total illusion in the sense that, you know, if I go and put my hand on a burning hot stove, mm-hmm. that pain that I feel is going to be quite real. And that's why I'm not going to do it because that's mm-hmm. going to feel real to me. But to try to break down that experience in a way where we can identify any one aspect of it in an objective way, that becomes much more difficult that there's a phenomenological aspect to it which is that i'm a subject who experiences life right and and i experience the phenomena of life like getting burned burned that's a real experience for me as a subject right but scientifically we know not only if we were measuring that experience using instruments that what's happening is both happening and not happening, it's probability, it's 
energy being shuttled through a nervous system that also is not necessarily identifiable as a complete or um, static thing, but more as a dynamic system that's constantly processing, constantly changing. I mean, it's it's what we read about in Tao, that this this complex thing that's constantly changing, that's mysterious, science has shown that individual human organisms are essentially reflect that same fundamental nature. Right, right. Let's let's take a step back and uh, and uh, you know to take the thoughts we have right now uh, and connect that with our desires and wants. Our original um, uh, observation was, you know, human beings are built upon the natural and biological responses that mm-hmm. trying to amplify, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and get us into where we are now in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, excessive maybe wants mm-hmm. and desires nowadays. Uh, so, and then you also observe that, you know, the, 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 the thinking about our place in the universe. So do those things, if we can, um, uh, you know, walk the timeless way and take the wisdom from Taoism, how do, how do we how do we do that? Like take that thinking mm-hmm. and try to maybe counter uh, counter some of the forces uh, in society awesome. right now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there really are some simple things and in, in place which are intuitive for us, but Again, for them to feel real and spiritual, we have to practice them. We have to walk the timeless way. Yes. And so the first one uh, that is most important in this regard, got to go back to the three treasures and and look at moderation. Right. Lao Lao Tzu was very clear in saying that you you shouldn't want too much of, of things, that you shouldn't. I mean, I forget which chapter it is in Tao Te Ching, but he talks about how too much music. Oh, 12. That's a chapter 12, like the chapter five 12. colors, blind right. the eye, five tones, mm-hmm. deafen the ear, and so on and so forth. Right? Those yeah. sensory. <laughs> like, that's where, when I read mm-hmm. that chapter, I feel, oh, that's where we are in now. <laughs> exactly. The, it's the sign of an excessive, maybe even degenerate, society um and and i think what's interesting about lao's perspective you look at when he wrote Tao Te Ching, he wrote it before we had engines before we had access to extract fossil fuel power of fossil fuels electricity electricity and he could already see that because of what agriculture was producing, the excesses of agriculture, right. that those excesses within civilization were deteriorating the character of humanity. I mean, he, that, that's what duh is. It's, it's all about virtuous, being virtuous, having character. And he could even see back then how excess 
was creating degeneracy amongst people, particularly the people at the top, who had more right? power at the yeah, top. At the top, right. And now it's all like a, a, the top of the pyramid. Uh, although, you know, nowadays we talk, talk about the, um, the lack of the trickle down, but over a period of the historical time, there is a trickle down. Like the people, you know, yes. in the middle at the bottom, they probably enjoy the life that the empress never dreamed of. Yeah, uh, other than opportunities to um, have sex, like the emperors obviously had with the concubines. Lots of concubines. <laughs> uh -huh. But outside of that, um, yeah, the pe pe people today in America who maybe even are on government assistance, but just the luxuries that they have access to they all get to, we all shop at the same grocery store that has 500 different types of potato chips and ice cream. And right. Um, yeah, there, there, there's definitely not a lot of wealth trickling down, but what the access to fossil fuels has had and the power and energy that has, that we've been able to extract the average person benefits that in a way that Yes, their quality of life is hundreds of times better than even emperors of Lao Tzu's time. Right. Well, if it's healthy, it's all healthy and wholesome. I, I think there's you know nothing wrong with it. The thing is, I feel like you know we are talking about moderation here. I feel we have already arrived, or maybe even passed a point of kind of uh, the point of diminishing return. You mm -hmm. know now that access, access of behaviors and, you know, accesses of mm. goods and services, uh, they seem to have a detrimental effect on people's health and well-being. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I, I want to try to connect it back to this idea of, of freedom. Okay, yeah. That, that you alluded to in, in the beginning, and I think that that yes there there actually is a connection between freedom and mental health but the other side of the freedom coin is responsibility and when you accept more responsibility you probably also accept more moderation because you recognize the more that you recognize you're responsible for yourself and 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 not expecting to be entitled to things just because you're an american or you're mm -hmm. a certain identity or or whatever i mean people come up with a million different ways an infinite number of ways of feeling entitled to things in our culture so but the price that you pay is less freedom, right? Like if, 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 if you're saying you're entitled to those things just by being, you're also saying that you're expecting other people to provide you those things or, or some external thing to provide them. You're saying you're not responsible for it, that you're, you know, these are rights that you mm -hmm. have. And then anytime that you encounter the real world that actually doesn't work that way because in reality we all are responsible for ourselves 
probably going to be anxious, disappointed, feel powerless, feel hurt, feel wronged, right? feel despair, feel trapped. Right. Then you are not feeling freed anymore, right? Yes, That's exactly. kind of the ironical. Like when you have these all these feelings, you are swamped in those feelings. How can you be free? Right. How can you? What's the solution? What's, you know, what, how can we think differently or interact with people differently? So we are not at cross purposes. I mean, we all want freedom, but the kind of freedom we're trapped in, you know, maybe we call it kind of like a rights focused freedom. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to call it, it yeah. from what you're describing it is one aspect of freedom, but it's not all. If you overemphasize that aspect of it, you may, you mix or you miss the other aspects. For example, as you said, responsibility. Well, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be really hard because their conditioning mm. is so deep and I so see. entrenched. I mean, I know I'm saying the same thing there, but essentially they've been so conditioned that I think it's going to be really hard for them to even start opening up to the possibility of how conditioned they actually are. So um, a, mm. a good book to read to kind of get into some of this to- total freedom from Krishnamurti. Mm. That's a pretty good one. But essentially going back to the, the total responsibility that we have, r- regardless of external things, there literally is no one else who can do anything regarding how we choose to experience our lives, how we choose to interpret the events that happen in our lives and our relationship to our own consciousness. No one. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Like, how could anyone? How how can it, when, when something happens... I react to that. I reflect upon it. I make sense of that. Right. How can anybody else ever make sense of that for me in a meaningful way? But that not that thought in itself very empowering? I think so. But why don't other people, you know, have been conditioned uh, or like really like think about that, that thought itself? Well, there's this idea of um, I'm not an expert on propaganda. I'm not an expert on that sort of thing. But there's this notion of a useful idiot that I think comes from Russia. I could be wrong right. about that. But I think what people don't realize is, is to the extent that this conditioning makes them useful pawns in political games. And, and obviously, when we're talking about politics, we're talking about power. And we're talking right. about being those people at the top, the people that Lao Tzu saw were the most kind of in in need of reform and character building. Um, and so, but that conditioning is everywhere where it's, you know, the social media um, or advertising or the news media that's used to kind of shape our political views most people don't realize how much that really is in the service of just um, 
taking away people's responsibility to make decisions for themselves, think about things for themselves, and instead you have sources of power and influence telling people what to think and making those decisions for them. It feels easier, but the long-term consequences, again, like you're giving up your freedom. Right, right, right. Is it possible to get out of that conditioning maybe by going back to the basics? In, in other words, like to find our way back, you mm -hmm. know, maybe to the beginning when, or are we in the middle of it? It's just hopeless because, you know, like every all the forces are around us, mm -hmm. you know, like we are trapped in these conditioning mm -hmm. forces. Well, so, so conditioning, I mean, where does conditioning come from? It comes from the environment. We can't escape environment. Like we're, if we're not in a modern civilization, we're in some other kind of civilization. If we're not in any civilization at all, we're in a different type of environment that we're still not completely free from. I mean, this is where cognitive science is helpful, particularly inactive cognitive science that has a, a biological evolutionary root. And, and that's our nervous system has been shaped by the environment over you know, billions of years of time and is uniquely shaped so that we can make sense of the environment. So we can't ever be free of our nervous system. That's just that right. can't get around it. It's right? almost like pour, you know, pour our hair and try to escape the gravity, right? <laughs> right. Good luck. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Right. Yeah. I'm free now. No, All right. I'm no, free no, now. No, you're not. Um, well. So it's, yeah. 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 I agree. I, I think that. Yeah. Yeah. That is almost like impossible but when you look at individuals like there's still variation between mm -hmm. you know some people are being more conditioned than mm -hmm. others yeah like those people who relatively speaking who have their independent thoughts mm -hmm. i feel like they act more freely than others but mm -hmm. then within the larger system they are still trapped trapped in the mm -hmm. larger dynamics right yeah i mean to use just some pop culture i mean i think the first matrix is what real the first matrix movie uh -huh, uh -huh. that i mean it really was way ahead of its time and kind of saw where things are going because i think generally generationally each generation becomes more and more like the the people inside the matrix who are stuck to the machine that this the machine is just kind of feeding off of where they think that they're living a real life, but they're really not. They're really just batteries for, you know, the power, the, the, the people in power. Right. Right. And that do we have a choice there? Yeah. Obviously like that situation seems pretty horrible. The, the metaverse seems like it's pushing us more in that direction of living as these sort of just kind of, passive um s just slaves to a system that is making all of our decisions for us using social psychology to nudge us in certain directions and mm -hmm. basically becoming really 
unfree versus the type where, yes, maybe civilization wouldn't have as much um, safety and security, right. but we but we would be more free and we would be confronted with that on a regular basis where we had to work more, we had to do more physical labor, we didn't have as many comforts, but maybe we would actually like feel closer to each other, have more full range of human emotions, remember what it feels like to be alive again. Right, right, right. That That's what I'm thinking too. Like say, uh, you know, in order to break free of the uh, condition, I know it's difficult, it's almost impossible. Are there like, but also I know that sometimes like uh, through our own personal experience, uh, sometimes you have to overwrite that conditioning with new experiences. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I was wondering whether, you know, like the Taoist, Taoist ideas, like will help us in some way. Yeah, I think, I think they, they, they can, um, while I don't think we'll ever be able to go to Lao Tzu's view of a utopian society just because of how how far civilization has gone scientifically, technologically. Right. But he described utopia as being a very simple way of living where right. people were close to each other. They kind of engaged in simple things, just cooking food making clothes right and then just enjoying the simplicity their, their of it, right? and the simplicity of it yeah and and there's a lot of creativity it really is describing a very creative way of, of living just spending your time creating but but with around simple things food clothing customs um that sort right. of thing right i think we have that capacity to do it and and marry some amount of technology with that but unfortunately going back to our wants and desires what we've seen is that the thirst for greed and power is infinite when it comes to humanity and that the people who should be our leaders that should be our the our our sage leaders helping like exemplify that kind yeah. of simple living mhm yeah, they're not sages. I mean, they're they're not going to stop until there's catastrophe. I mean, they're not going to stop until the fossil fuels are gone or the fossil fuels have um, made the planet kind of uninhabitable in a in in the way that we're accustomed to, which is this globalized neoliberal order that we live within. Um, they're probably going to push, keep pushing things to an, I mean, just the Taoist idea again, pushing something to the extreme until it reverts and becomes its opposite, which in this case, if you're trying to push global consumerism to the extreme, well, what's the opposite of that? You know, localized, um, I guess it would be. I don't want to say poverty, but like basically extreme localization where if that global system 
gets pushed to the extreme and breaks down, what it, reverting to the opposite would be people have to live locally again. Okay, we, we've got to grow food. We have to make our local trade networks. We've got to you know, do everything locally again. And that's probably what will end up inevitably happening. Right, right. Do you remember like in uh, last year when we studied one of the chapters of Tao Te Ching, when, you know, humans are not following nature, nature will exert its own force, right? Yeah. Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I was wondering, like for the leaders, you know, it seems like they're, you know, they, they have their kind of a, a confirmation bias. Let's use that term. So that confirmation bias is like their own conditioning. They're constantly affirming their lifestyle is, is the better, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, until either really, really horrible things happen to them, uh, as you described. But I, I'm just trying to uh, ask you another scenario, which is among them, there are people who are, do you believe that some people who are, they, they have an encounter with wisdom and um, and and, uh, and become enlightened among them. So then they take the lead, but I don't see any signs of them. But throughout history, you know, here, there, because I believe like leaders have disproportionate impact, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. just the fact they are sitting at the, uh, at the very top and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people consciously or unconsciously use them as a role models, either <laughs> bad role models or mm -hmm. good role models. Do you see any possibility that some of them, some of them, because they somehow they through they go through a personal transformation, they you know they see the dead end, then they turn around. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I've seen, unfortunately what we see is the corruption and yeah yeah and, and <laughs> posers yeah a lot of people posing but you know i just read a story just even locally an organization that was supposed they were getting federal money taxpayer dollars to feed children was what they were supposed to be doing and they went from billing the federal government like $300,000 a year, one, one year, I think 2018 yeah. to billing almost $200 million just a couple years later. And it turns out they're being investigated for using all of that money, not to feed children, but to like buy houses and jewelry and lavish lifestyles. And so that's the kind of stuff that we see more often, which is, yeah, yeah. I heard the, I read the story, similar story, uh, around uh, this uh, latest, uh, you know, uh, latest, uh, you know, um, uh, incident in, in New York. Have you heard, like, there's an Asian woman who actually works for Deloitte, mm. uh, a consultant. Uh, mm -hmm. She was pushed to the subway and killed by the, yeah. the train, yeah, by the homeless people. Yeah. And then people like try to turn it into, you know, either is uh, like, uh, you know, Asian, anti-Asians, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, the, the anti-Asian anti um, discrimination, or is it mm -hmm. like social problem? And one of the an analysis I saw was 
these homeless people in New York were almost like they are uh, uh, they're just like a going wild despite mm-hmm. the government programs because mm-hmm. the one of the city um, officials or politicians, actually the wife of a politician, mm-hmm. uh, if I remember c- correctly, it's the mayor of New mm-hmm. York. His wife like used the money for other purposes. Mm. The, 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 you know, really the, mm-hmm. the money for uh, taking care of the homeless people are not there. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, these homeless people are going mm-hmm. wild. They have mental problems. Yeah, a lot of the, these things where the, the, the politicians will pass bills and sp- spending programs but because there's no oversight, there's no, no oversight. accountability, no. you look and it's like the average citizen will read an article in the news that says, oh, there's all this spending on homelessness. But then when you actually look and see, it's just like, oh, no, this is actually, there's a lot of corruption here. Uh, most of the money doesn't actually get into the hands of anything yeah, that's going to yeah, make yeah. A, a difference. and. The whole thing is just kind of a big sham in a lot of ways. And so in in light of stories like that and the ones that we read about, I think that cynicism that people have of, you know, we don't have sage leaders. We have these corrupt, Corrupt. whether or not, I mean, maybe they actually believe that they're doing something. I don't, I don't know. Um, Or, or if, you know, I'm sure there's some portion of people who know that they're corrupt and don't care. And then there's some people who maybe are convincing themselves that like, Oh, I deserve this. And, you know, and yeah, I am helping some people. And so it's okay. (laughs) Um, But overall, yeah, I think exactly that the whole thing is pretty laughable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also you can imagine the, you know, uh, the, the, chain reactions. You know, I could imagine like a business people, their business people, uh, you know, they want to, uh, especially they have, you know, a lot of money, they, they want Mm -hmm. to help socially. But when they see politicians misuse this money, they become cynical. And then the only the bad business people may be among them. And they say, Oh, I know these politicians, they, they, you know, they're corrupted. So I can't, I can give money to help them to advance my goal. So the good, mm-hmm. good business people who are socially conscious, they mm-hmm. say, okay, why waste the money, you know, giving, yeah. giving to those social courses because they yep. don't use it very well. Yeah, and, and, and that's why, I mean, I think this is the thing that, that people, I think probably more younger people don't understand, but um, you know, their heart's in the right place, but when you've seen taxpayer dollars be misappropriated mm-hmm. in such obscene ways, and and nonprofits squander taxpayer dollars in obscene ways, that's why people say like, "Hey, I don't want to pay all these taxes to the government because they don't use it. It ends up lining people's pockets. It ends up going." for not the things that it's supposed to be there. And, and I think that's why, I think there is a valid 
boy, we're way off the the, the Taoism path at this well, point. Well, I think it, but it's not moderation. The yeah, moderation what thing is, uh, it's what we, uh, you yeah. know, I think it's happening. It's true. And yeah. we are not, we cannot just pretend it's not happening. Exactly. So still, the question is, living in that, this kind of a era and environment mm -hmm. as individuals or as a, you know, uh, communities, as friends, as, you know, what are we supposed to do? You know, is there a way, I mean, I still believe there's a hope there, but we're not hopeful, but we're, we're, I don't want to be like, personally, I don't want to be uh, gullible, uh, yeah. but I want to be hopeful. Yeah. That's the kind of feeling you know, I have when I when I look at all these, you know, uh, you know, bad things and mm -hmm. you know, cr corrupt practices. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I think it's good to know it's happening and let's yes. not pretend it's not happening. All right. Yes. Um, how can we know it's happening and at the same time remain? Uh, or continue to find a ways to navigate this chaotic world and walk the timeless way. So I read a really awesome article this past week. I wish I could remember who wrote it. Um, maybe I'll put it on the website as a resource link, but the, mm -hmm. the metaphor that they used had such an impact on me that describing our modern globalized capitalist world that we're living in mm -hmm. as sometimes in the ocean, you know, the ocean so vast, so huge, a giant whale will die and sink to the bottom and land on the ocean floor. Okay. And when that happens, it drastically alters the nature of existence for all of the creatures who live in at that time. So because now there's suddenly this giant resource available to eat upon without even trying. It makes life so easy. Multiple generations are just feeding on this whale carcass. You don't have to look for food. There's just abundance everywhere. And if you're a little bit more powerful than the other ones, like you can gorge yourself on this whale carcass day after day after day. And it seems like it's never going to end because of how significant it is. I see. I see. Yeah. The, the whale carcass is fossil fuels. And our access to fossil fuels and being able to extract the wealth and power that fossil fuels have provided, that's what's made our lives so easy around the globe now for so many billions of people. Mm -hmm. But when that whale carcass is gone, which eventually it will be, that whale carcass isn't going to last forever, life goes back to all of the creatures that used to depend upon that whale carcass have to just go back to how they used to have to live, which is 99.99% of what living is actually like. Like it's the rare event where you have this giant whale carcass to feast upon. Mm. 
So if you look at the human history, uh, uh, evolutionary history, you know, from the long run, mm -hmm. you know, we're just in the occupying a period of time when that is possible, right? Yeah, and we that got lucky to be over. Yes, we got lucky and we got born where there's this whale carcass that everyone is feasting upon. And sure, like some people still, because of whatever challenges are, are, are there, aren't enjoying it to the same extent right. as others. But the point is like, there is this giant whale carcass that essentially the, that fossil fuels are providing that's making life the way that it is for civilization right now. I see. I, but I, that I, is going to go away. I see. I was wondering what was the conclusion from that book? Or is it just like maybe the natural way, the Taoist way is enjoying yeah. the banquet and uh, let nature take care of itself? That can well, be I think, it. yeah, that is the natural thing, right? Like it, it'll be there for some period of time, but Tao levels everything. It makes the mountains and the valleys and fills the valleys up and levels everything. So that is the that is the view that we can take from this is like knowing this is not, this is an anomaly that we're living within. This is not how life is going to continue forever. Right. Then the conclusion is don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's, Don't worry too much about it. Yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. Well, we're at the closing of the hour, and uh, it's been a, a, you know, it's a really a fascinating, you know, conversation, even though we haven't come to a, you know, straightforward conclusion, but that's the nature. That's the nature of the na nature, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, dynamic, messiness, mm -hmm. you know, we're not trying to, you know, advocate a particular way, but really like exploring and trying to understand our world. Perfectly put. Yeah. Well, I hope that uh, our listeners are also uh, enjoying being uh, part of this conversation. And uh, until next time.